Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. I'm calling this message to stay when Jesus comes. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, there are some bulletins in a basket uh, back at the, at the back back there, so... Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. We do have people who are here this morning, and praise the Lord for that, huh? We're going to be in Revelation 19, verses 20 through, well, I think 17, really. Yeah, 17. Uh, Let's listen to what it says here. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on his horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, who had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their mind, on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the, blood, the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Wow, I love that passage. I, I think that passage has so many things. So what, uh, what I'd like to do is take that passage and let's just take a look at this. Let's see what things are happening when Jesus comes. So let's break it down like this. First of all, there's the capture and disposal of the beast and the false prophet. And they're cast alive immediately into the lake of fire. Now, let's talk about why that's significant. When Jesus comes, he doesn't tackle the soldiers first. He goes to the big generals. He goes to the ones who are in charge of this whole thing, the ones they have been worshiping, the ones that they have been admiring. And he's going to take the leadership out first. And that leadership is gone immediately, right from all the troops, away he takes them. Now, I want to remind you of this. These are humans. The false prophet is a human. The, uh, the beast is a human being. Yes, they're empowered by the dragon. Yes, they are. That, I, I'm not taking away anything from that. But these are humans. And when it says that these humans were cast alive into the lake of fire, if they're merely uh, uh, just uh, the, like we and you are today, then you and I know 
that that means they're going to burn up. But there is some kind of resurrection that takes place between the time that you, you cast somebody, uh, the, the, by the time somebody dies and the time that they are, are changed. Uh, that's what's going to happen to all of those who, have the, um, who are cast in the lake of fire at the end of the thousand years, the great white throne judgment. Some sort of change takes place. Now, why do I say that? Well, I know that change must take place because at the end of all this, when Satan is cast alive in the lake, or when Satan is cast in the lake of fire, he's cast in there with them. That's a thousand years later. So they were not annihilated. They're in torment. They're in punishment there. I don't know how that's done. I'd have to say, I don't understand all the elements of fire. Uh, My father was... uh, speaking to somebody from a burning bush without consuming the bush. And he was speaking, um, he he, uh, addressed the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace without anything on them being singed. I don't know how that happens. Yet other times he could send fire and take out all of Elijah's offering, all of the water that's around it. He could do all that with that fire. He also wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah with that fire. There are times when I believe that fire, now this is just me speaking, so you don't have to take this one home and say the inspired word says, because that's not it. I think that fire is the fire of the cherubim and seraphim. They are seen always as that which surrounds God. When they surround the throne, they are seen as burning things, fiery things. Um, Matter of fact, when Ezekiel sees them, they're seen as flashes of lightning coming out. Uh, They're seen as a whirlwind that's a fire enfolding itself. That's the cherubim and seraphim. A cherubim is, uh, I think, the Hebrew word for it. Seraphim, I think, is the Aramaic word for it. I, I think they're probably the same beings, but those are the kind of things that go on with them, and I think that may be what that fire is. Um. So they're cast alive immediately into there. So that, that gets rid of them out of this battle. That leaves the armies that they had drawn together with no leaders. Now let's consider this. It goes on to tell us that the armies of those with the mark of the beast who worship the image are killed by the word of God. It's a massive bloody slaughter, and the birds of the air are filled with their flesh. So let's just pick up this um, Verse 21 says, And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now, let's go back and think just with me for a moment. Jesus is called the Word of God. Matter of fact, the Word became flesh, John tells us. And because the Word became flesh and it dwelt among us, that Word is the same Word. Matter of fact, it tells us that's the Word is what created the things in the beginning. It tells us in Colossians and in Hebrews that he upholds everything by the power of his word, that it's his word that holds things together. You and I today, brothers and sisters, are being held together. Matter of fact, this whole universe is being held together by the word of the living God, the same word that said where there was absolutely nothing before, let there be light, and there's light. The same word that says let there be earth, and there's earth. The same word that says let there be water, there's water. It's that word that's able to create, and if we can take it down to the tiniest little atom of the thing, he creates the atoms of everything. 
I know when I was taking chemistry and physics in college, uh, they were trying to say to us, we don't know what holds that nucleus in place. We, we don't know, and we can't understand exactly what it is, but we know when that's blown apart that it really makes a mess. Well, that's, that's not the words they use, but that's, that's, that's my Arkansas interpretation of what they said, okay? So this thing's held together. And it wasn't until I started reading the Word of God that I realized I know what holds it together. It's the Word of God. So if the Word is what holds things together, what would it take to take things apart? It's a good thing Jesus said, and this is what was always taught to me, it's a good thing that he said to Lazarus, Lazarus come forth, and didn't say everybody come forth, or didn't just say come forth, because he said come forth, everybody would have come forth. But he said to Lazarus. The kids, I don't know how this works, but I hope there's a video when we get to heaven. You know, I hope there's a DVD you can plug in and say, how does God do this? Because I don't know what it takes, what kind of atomic structure, what kind of thing has to take place when you can take a guy whose hand is withered up and you can speak to that hand and it straightens out and becomes usable. Kids, do you know how many things have to change for that to take place? All those muscles, all those fibers, they were in there frozen in that, that hold. They, they were not, they were too weak to do anything. When Jesus speaks to them, that's got to not only add strength to them, it's got to add muscle to them. They were drawn up. Now it's got to add muscle cells to them. It's got to add all kinds of ligaments to it. It's got to add things to the bones. It's got to do all kinds of stuff to that, that hand to make it work. Think of bl- blindness. How do you change that? How do you get someone who's a paraplegic up where he can walk again? How many things have to change just for that to happen. You know, you know, I can hurt my back, and I think I'm, I'm down for the whole world. You know, I'm down and feeling badly and stuff. And I know it takes a whole lot of time, a whole lot of work to get that thing loosened up back enough where it can go again. When Jesus does that instantaneously by a thought, by a word, can you imagine what kind of armies could stand against that? When Jesus speaks, notice it says that there was blood everywhere. Blood is inside a container. If you just simply say to the containers, stop holding together, that's got to go someplace. You you see what I'm saying? That's got to go somewhere. So all that blood has to go somewhere. When Jesus speaks, people either live or they die. People, things come together or they go apart. Lord Jesus speaks, and since he upholds all things by the word of his power, when he spoke, all those troops were done. They didn't have to raise a weapon. He didn't have to use any other weapon than the word of God. You're here because of the word of God. All of us are alive because of the word of God. Well, I, I think you see my point there. I don't want Then it goes on to say, the dragon who caused all the rebellion... An angel with the key to the abyss, the bottomless pit, captures him, binds him, and seals him in the abyss, but for only a thousand years. Now let's take a look. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down, 20, chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. 
Now, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So let's, uh, let's kind of work our way through that one. The dragon. If you remember right, our theology, at least, according to Ezekiel 28, we understand that uh, Satan, the one we call the Satan, we understand that from Ezekiel 28, he once was a cherub, a cherubim. And that means that he was a burning thing. And it, it calls him a serpent. And I'm, I'm not sure I know and understand altogether what that word serpent means. I've tried to do as many word studies on it as I can, and I'm not sure I come to a good conclusion. But I know that um, it's, they're often called fiery serpents, fiery serpents. That's one of the things I came to the conclusion that the carabim are fiery things. As this fiery thing, he, he's becoming the appearance of a dragon. So whatever a seraphim or cherubim looks like, and um, I, I know this, Moses and the children of Israel at that time must have known what a seraphim or a cherubim looked like. Why do I say that? Because they made two to go over the uh, mercy seat, and they embroidered inside the drape that, went, that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, that was embroidered with cherubim seraphim. So I know they had to have some kind of idea what it looked like. I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I know what we usually have depictions of, um, but I, I don't know exactly what they look like. But whatever they look like, he's become dragon-like in his appearance. And he's called the serpent. And now again, I don't think it should be taken as an odd thing that Eve was speaking to a serpent. Uh, let, me, let me just take you back a little bit. Let's do a little history together. When God creates the heavens, he's creating all that angelic group at the same time. That whole angelic group was be created with the heavens. That's, if I can just remind you, it wasn't the stars. Because the stars don't come back, what I think, till day four. It's not the stars that he created then. It was the angelic beings that were then. Why do I say that? Because the book of Job says that those sons of God were singing at the days of creation. So with each day of creation, some group is singing there. He created that group. So in the beginning, God created the heavens. So he's creating not only a place for them to be, but he's creating the beings themselves. So those beings, um, also known as Elohim, that's, that's what, a, what a disembodied spiritual being is. God is an Elohim, but he's not the only Elohim. There's a host of Elohim that are with him. That's what he calls the, the, the angels in Psalm 82.1. And that host of angels rules together with him in a divine council. Everybody with me so far? This kind of, they rule with him in a divine council. They're called the watchers in Daniel. Uh, they're called the eyes of the Lord in, in various other places. But they're the ones that meet in council. Remember, it was that group that met in council when Ahab and, um, yeah, Jehoshaphat. When Ahab and Jehoshaphat were going to fight together 
against an enemy, uh, Jehoshaphat said, look, I'm not, I'm not pleased with who you are, with your prophets of Baal. I want to hear a prophet of the Lord. I want to hear a prophet of Yahweh. He says, oh, you don't want to hear a prophet of Yahweh. He never tells the truth. I mean, he never says anything good. He always says something bad to me, he says something negative. And he says, no, I want to hear him. Well, the prophet's name was Micaiah. So Micaiah comes forth and he says, Micaiah, he wants to hear some word from you, Ahab says to him. He says, yes, go well and prosper. The king's going to do well today. And they slapped him. And he said, Ahab said, I told you to tell the truth. Tell what you really think. He said, all right, here's what I saw. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And I saw all his spirits gathered around him. And he said, who among you will give, give me a plan that I can kill Ahab? Well, who's he asking? He's asking all those Elohim that were around him. He's asking that judgment council, that divine council that's around him. And one says this, and one says that, and one says this, so and so on and so forth. And finally, there was one who said, I know what I'll do. I'll become a lying spirit in the, vo- in the mouth of his prophets. And so he said, go. That's what you can do. That was a divine council member, one of the Elohim, one of the sons of God, Elohe, uh, B'nai Elohe, one of them coming down, becoming a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets so that Ahab would believe them, would go into battle, and would die in battle. All I'm, I'm just saying, that's that group of people. Well, a cherubim was above that. A cherubim was close to the throne. They were the ones that covered the throne, covered the presence of God. So the dragon, all of that was in Eden. Eden was the temple of God. That's where earth and heaven met together. That's the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven are meeting together in unity, that's the kingdom of God. When the the kingdom of heaven, with a rebel, convince the kingdom of God to the kingdom of earth to convince them to go against God, and they did. There was disruption and rebellion in the kingdom of earth. There was then disruption and rebellion with the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus came back to bring together again the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. Everybody with me? Was that that like a fire hose? Um, Hang with me. He's going to bring them together. That's what this is. That's why Jesus had to be man for the kingdom of earth and God for the kingdom of heaven so that you bring them together in the kingdom of God. This dragon was the one that had been seen by Eve in Eden. It was not unusual to see angelic beings in that earthly kingdom. That's what you would have seen all the time, not just animals, but you would have seen the cherubim, You would have seen whatever the living beings were like. You would see what the other angels were like. They would be in there in the traffic all the time in that area. Well, anyway, because of who Satan is, he is casting him into the abyss. We've seen this abyss before. That was the one, Tartarus, that was talked about in Jude, where all those fallen spirits had gone. They were then bound in there. And in Revelation 9, they were released from there, and they went out like locusts, lion, lion, locusts, scorpions, or whatever they were, and they tormented people for five months. They came out of that abyss. Now, Satan's being put in that abyss, and he's going to be bound there for a 1,000 years. 
Well, let me go on then. Uh, It goes in letter D in our outline for today. It says in verse 4 of 20, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls who had been beheaded for their witness. I'm going to stop right there. Let me just take that part. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment uh, was, was committed to them. Now, judgment. There were thrones that were set up. We saw earlier that the divine council had thrones. Uh, when I say earlier, I mean earlier in our career here. That they had judgment thrones. Now remember, some of the sons of God had rebelled against God with Satan. That means their throne is empty. They don't have that throne anymore. They're not given that throne anymore. And that throne has to be filled. And the scriptures tell us that it's got to be filled with the sons of God. Who are those sons of God? That is the the children of God who go through their adoption. The children of God is what all of us are right now. We're not sons of God until we go through the adoption. Romans chapter 8 tells us that an adoption's coming someday. And that adoption is when we get our new bodies. With that new bodies, we become sons of God where we had been children of God. Uh, that may take a little more explanation than I've got time for this morning. I've already spent a lot of time explaining some other things there. But here's what I'm, I'm understanding this is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I think I may have that later in the, the outline as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it is saying that you should never go to court. Believers should never go to court against each other. And the justification in the Lord said you should let the church judge your issues. If you've got two brothers that are squabbling, let the church settle that squabble. And Paul goes on to say, do you not know that you're going to judge angels? Can you not judge these little small matters here? Whoa, judge angels? Yes, you will be judging angels. You'll be judging the angels that fell with Satan They were supposed to be part of that divine council. They gave up their throne. And all those thrones had to be replaced. The resurrected church of Jesus Christ is what sits on those thrones. That's the new divine council. So it'll have some of the angelic people who were, some of the angelic beings that were a part of it. It'll have the resurrected church as a part of it. And they're going to be casting the sentence on well, I'm, I'm too far ahead of myself. I'll, we'll get to that in just a moment, all right? But uh, that's the resurrected church as the sons of God to replace the wicked divine council members, the new divine council. And then notice also in verse 4 again, Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark or their foreheads on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ, for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again. Well, I'll just stick with verse 4, all right? Martyrs from the tribulation. Notice this. It says, these are the souls of those who'd been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the Word of God. That is, that's the group that was in the tribulation. This is people who, in the tribulation, trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They're not the church. So if I can set my timeline up again here, let's say this is the beginning of the tribulation. Over here is the end of the tribulation, and this is the middle of that tribulation. We're living on this side of it right now. 
We're what's known as the church. It's our understanding from the scriptures that the church is taken out before this judgment begins. Before the day of the Lord begins, the church is taken out. That's called a pre-tribulational rapture. Then here at the tribulation, there's some wonderful things that take place. Two big things happen at the same time. One, of course, you know the Antichrist comes up at that time, and he's going to be conquering nations and all kinds of things. That's one thing that's going on. Ultimately, he's going to wind up conquering Jerusalem, and he's going to wind up being the abomination of desolation in the middle of the tribulation. But there's another thing that's going on. There are 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are sealed. And those 144,000 Jewish evangelists have realized that Jesus is the Messiah. Church is gone, kids. Church is gone. So this is not about the church. They've realized that Jesus is the Messiah. And they're the ones that are responsible for the, the Jewish people turning to Christ. Now they see he's the Christ. And millions of Jewish people are going to return to faith, are going to turn to faith in Christ. They are going to go then around the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all kinds of people. So there's lots of people who are going to be saved during that tribulation period. But they are not the church. Everybody follow me? It's not the church. These are a new group of people. Matter of fact, in just a moment, you'll see they came out of uh, Revelation chapter 7. But let's, here's this new group of people. They're growing and they're growing. The Antichrist is growing and growing more in his power, and he's beheading people who are trusting Jesus Christ. Kind of get a, a ISIS in uh, Syria idea going here. Okay, get here's ISIS comes to Syria, and they start beheading Christians all over the place. That's the, that's the concept you have here. All right? So they're going to keep on doing that. So many of them are going to be martyred during that tribulation period, even more so after this, after the middle of the tribulation when Satan's kicked out of heaven, and he takes off after all the children of God. All right? Giving you a lot of stuff today. All right. Um, turn with me just for a moment, and let's look at Revelation 7. Uh, just take a look at that one real quickly. Now, uh, what I'm telling you is all this has to happen when Jesus comes. So if, if you thought it, Jesus is just going to come down, he's going to kill the enemies and start a new kingdom, there's a lot of things that have to happen when Jesus comes, all right? Look with me, please, at verse 9. After these things, oh, chapter 7, verse 9. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. 
For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living waters, or living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this group that Jesus is speaking of in Revelation 20 and verse 6, they're not the church. They're this group who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of the, the image of the beast, in spite of the, all the junk that was going on with that, and they were beheaded. They were martyred. Now it says that that group gets to be around the throne of Jesus all the time. They're another close group. So Jesus has got the church that's his bride, and they've got, he's got this group that's around him. And if you remember, the 144,000 are another group that's even closer than this particular group. All right. What else do I know has to take place? Yeah, let's do it. 2 Peter chapter 3, would you? 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to pick up with me at verse 10. Here it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and goodness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So when Jesus comes, now I'm going to take you back here to our timeline again. Beginning of tribulation, middle of tribulation, end of tribulation, which ends with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this period, this seven-year period, called the tribulation, the last three and a half called the great tribulation. This is all the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. That's why, uh, obviously, if the day of the Lord was only the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not much like a thief. We've had the destruction of Babylon. We've had the destruction of all kinds of people. We've had all kinds of things. We've got this superior darkness going on and then a flash of light. They're not surprised by this. Matter of fact, they're not, not only are they not surprised, they gathered the armies together ready to fight him because they knew it was coming. But over here, we don't know when it's coming. It's unknown to us. We can look for signs. In gathering of Israel being one of those signs, we can look for all kinds of things. But when this happens, we don't know. That one over there, you do know. It's been clear and obvious. This is what it's all talking about, okay? This whole period of time. So the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. And at the end of this thing, it's with fire that Jesus is coming. And that fire is to purify the earth. I want you to think with me. What has happened on this planet from the time of the, let's just say even the, the well, the fourth seal? Well, no, you can start with the first seal. You've had war on this planet. You've had lots of killing going on. You've had famine. You've had hunger. You've had all kinds of fire on the earth. You've had uh, eruptions. You've had blood of the sea. You've had, uh, this, this place is a mess. 
That's not a way to have a, a great new heaven and new earth. It's not a great tribula- or not a great uh, place to have the millennium take place. So you've got to have the purification of the earth. This thing has to be purified with fire. Now notice, it says that it's going to melt with a fervent heat. Remember when we said that Jesus upholds all things by the power of his word? Since he's the one holding together all the atoms, since he's the one that's holding everything together there, all he would have to do to the dirt, to the whole, if he simply said to the whole system, stop. There's not an atom existing that would stay together. What do we know that produces? Fervent heat and things melt. The whole heavens are going to melt. That's why there's going to have to be a new heavens and a new earth. You can't live on this one anymore. This one is bloodied up. This one is messed up. This one is a, a, a terrible place to be. Now, you say, well, that's, that doesn't... Let's go back all the way to Genesis. Back over here in Genesis, it says, And the earth was without form and void. It was unlivable. And out of that chaos, Jesus brought order. Day, 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 until he can look at that and say, this is all very good. I mean, he's, he's bringing this. Now, it's, would it be so unusual that when he comes again, this same one would simply burn everything up that's here now and create a whole new one. You say, well, it'd be hard to create a whole... No, it wouldn't. It wasn't hard in the first place. It's not hard now. Everybody see where I'm at in this? All right. So, the purification of the earth. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. The creation of a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. What did Peter say he's looking for? A new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's Second Peter three thirteen. This is the new heavens and the earth of the millennium. Now I may differ with some people here, and there may be people disagree with me. I sure don't have any problem people disagreeing with me because, again, we're looking into the future. We're we're not looking back on the past to see how things were. We're looking into the future. And I'm just simply saying this. I know that some people think the new heavens and new earth is at the end of the millennium. We're starting over then. I don't think so. I think the new heavens and new earth is the millennium. And I think Isaiah is the one who said that first. When we come to that part of it, we'll talk about that then. But for right now, I I think that will be... um, I know something also that takes place. Now, uh, let me share this with you. Because I'm picking bits and pieces together and trying to put them together, I don't have a chronology on this. So if you're looking, which, which one comes first? Uh, the ones that we read come first. <laughs> that's what I do know. Those that say, this is what's going to happen, that's what happened. Okay. But when this next one takes place and how that fits with the, new, uh, the, the burning of the old earth, I don't know that exactly, but here's what I know something to Matthew 25, 31 to 46. So if you would, let's turn to Matthew 25 just for a moment. Matthew 25. 
Matthew 25, verse 31 says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now stop a minute. Let's just, let's just get this one down. There will be people who will survive the tribulation. That's an amazing thing to me. But there will be people who survive the tribulation. You say, wait a minute, I thought he killed them all at, the, um, at his second coming. No, no. That's the ones who worshiped the beast, who went with the beast. There were millions of people who didn't worship the beast, who honor him. That's why he was still killing them. There were lots of people who were not doing so. So those people are gathered from all over the world. Just like the angels gathered others before, gathering all of those and bringing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. In that group of people who did not receive the mark of the beast, who did not in any way worship the image of the beast, in that group of people, he says, there are two groups. There's a group that I call the sheep. There's a group that I call the goats. And here's how he makes the determination between them. Look here. He, he divides them up, and he says, he'll set the sheep on his right hand. How did he know they were his sheep? It says, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now stop. These are the people who, when others were fleeing from the persecution that was coming from the Antichrist, as they fled, as they were arrested, as all kinds of things happened to them, here was a group of people who acted just like the Ten Booms. They brought people into their home. They took care of people. They were not people with the, the mark of the beast on them. These are people who rejected the beast. The only thing you had a choice between is rejecting the beast or rejecting Christ, accepting the beast or accepting Christ. That's your only two choices. Here are people who decided they would not receive the mark of the beast. Okay? They didn't want to have it. Then all those that were being persecuted as they fled, these are people who took care of them. That's what it means. I was sick. You took care of me. I was hungry. You took care of me. I was on the run. I was in prison. Whatever it was, you took care of me. Now, look what it goes on to say about them. But the righteous. Now, I'm going to ask you once again, how does a person become righteous? It's by faith. A person is a righteous person because of faith. Let's go on. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You know, I'm, I'm recalling that... Uh, when Satan comes to earth during the middle of that tribulation, he comes with great anger against the children of Israel. When the abomination of desolation takes place at that same time, 
If you recall, Jesus told everybody then, when you see that take place, when you see that abomination of desolation take place, get out of Dodge. Don't pack. Don't do anything. Don't go get anybody. Don't check on anybody else. Run. Get out of there as fast as you can. Because the, the anger of Satan is about to be exploded on all those Jewish people at that time. And with that anger being exploded against them, they're fleeing. And as they're fleeing, let's just take today. If, if today I said, okay, everybody, uh, we found out now there, there is the, uh, the whole uh, Russian, Chinese, Ukrainian, um, whoever else, n- name another party, the Contra, everybody, everybody is, they're just two miles from here, and they're going to take your life. Get out of here. You would not have time to go home and get anything. Could you survive with the stuff you have on your back right now? Have you got enough money with you you could buy what you need to buy? Have you got enough gas in your car that you could do what you need to do? I doubt that any of us would have enough to get far enough away from them that would be uh, safe for us. So as we're taking off, wouldn't it be good if there were some people along the way who stopped and said, come in here, come in here. You look hungry. How are you doing? Well, I, I am. I'm very hungry. Here, here's some food. That's what you have going on with this group right here. That's who Jesus is honoring. That's who Jesus is giving this, this privilege of going into the kingdom with him with. These are survivors of the tribulation who took care of other people that were fleeing the persecution. And as a result of that, they're going to enter into the kingdom a changed person, but they're not the church. They're not even this group that was... Uh, 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 persecuted and martyred during the tribulation, these are survivors. They're going into the kingdom alive. And going in alive, there's, there is a change that takes place in their bodies that they're going to live like it was in the days of Adam. A thousand years. Whatever number of years that's going to be, they're going to live during that period of time. All right? Um. I think I'm going to call that and do the rest of the outline next Sunday. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome God. Thank you for the things that we know are in our future. I ask just now for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, give us understanding of those things that we might have faith, Father. Not, not that we might just conquer the, the knowledge of it, but that we might make application of it all in our lives. We are your people, and we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that we might represent you well on this planet. Thank you for what you're going to do in each one of us. Please, once again, Father, I ask healing to come to all our body here in Jesus' name. We ask that you will give to our president, our congressmen, our senators, and all, Father, a refreshing fear of the Lord. For we know, Father, they're lacking in wisdom in many situations. We can see it being expressed. So please, Father, in the name of Jesus, grant to them the fear of the Lord that they might have the beginning of wisdom. Grant to those who have been headed on the path of foolishness they might turn around now and repent and come into good thought. Then, Father, we ask for those of us who follow that you'll give to us the fear of the Lord that we might not defy the living God who might indeed Follow the the true ruler of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. 
Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.